Well, hello, my beloved ACAC family. <laughs> Certainly good to be back with you today. I have to say there are times where I am just a little sad that I'm not with you, and then there are these opportunities for me to come back and to reconnect with you. There are other opportunities where I've had to have some time of connection with some people from ACAC family since you've launched us over into Homestead. Some of those occasions have been during a safety and security training that we've done here. Some groups have come and participated with that, so I've had some level of contact, but also on ladies' night out. No judgment, I was invited <laughs> to, to participate with the ladies and I really welcome those opportunities to connect as well. So it's good to be here tonight and I am, I'm, I'm glad to be here with you um, as I get the opportunity to bring the world. So I also want to welcome anyone who is watching online. You are welcome as well as you tune in today's service. And so the little bit about what you just saw in the ministry minute, Pastor Patrick is doing marvelous work in the Homestead area. He is one example of a ministry that is reaching countless children in that area and has been doing so for, for years. So when we looked at ways that we could minister in the community, we felt like there was no need to recreate the wheel. Why not get with those who are making very intentional um, uh, inroads in that community, and they are with the youth. Sometimes there's upwards of 60 children that he is ministering to throughout the week. So to come alongside and to collaborate with them has been a blessing to us. And when I say by way of blessing, I also want you to know that I am blessed to have one of the finest congregations of all of Homestead. Fellowship 412 is a great, and some of them are here now. <laughs> committed. I was going to talk about commitment. There you go. They are committed, and they can catch the vision of why you launched us into a homestead area, and they are working very diligently to bring God's blessing to that area. So... So glad to have this opportunity to be, today, be here today. So let's go ahead and go to God's Word. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 4, and I'm going to be reading 11 verses. I'm going to be reading 1 through 11. A lot of volume of Scripture, but I want to be able to recall your memory to the whole story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. So I want to read that in totality so that everybody is aware of where we're going today. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible Version. You can follow along with, the screen, with the, whatever the screen has or whatever version you may have, whether electronically or actually your Bible in hand. Read along with me. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and, said, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. 
I've titled today's sermon, The Temptations. Let's pray together. <laughs> Gracious Heavenly Father, in this moment, the most important thing that has to happen is your people need to hear from you. I simply want to be an available vessel that your spirit works through me to be able to accomplish whatever goal that you have for your people. And today is hearing the word being delivered by me. So just help me to recall what you've placed in my heart and allow me to deliver that effectively so that the people can receive what you intend for them to receive. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All God's people say, amen. <clears throat> and as we look into today's word, may the Lord be with you. I'm wondering, I'm wondering how many individuals heard me make that announcement first of the sermon title and then found themselves having to redirect their thoughts because they began to focus on some of those iconic lyrics that were sang by a well-known Motown group bearing the same name as my sermon title, The Temptations. Maybe there's one of two, or one of two of you in here. And if just hearing the sermon title didn't cause any immediate association, I wonder who may have been influenced to think about those songs when they heard me announce the sermon title and then saw the image that was also selected to be displayed on the screen. Now you may be redirecting your thoughts away from some of those temptation songs. And it may be possible, possible, that there wasn't any association at all and no one started down memory lane and began recalling some of those great songs of the past. There may be extraordinary focus right now on what I'm about to say. You might be drilling right in where I'm going. And if I wanted to exert a little more influence on you so that you would have to refocus your thoughts away from some of those iconic lyrics, I would do something suggestive, like enticing you with a quick sample of those songs. Maybe something like this. Or maybe something like this. And if that ain't enough, how about this one? Well, since I'm not that type of dude, I won't do that to you. And some of y'all in this room are looking at me quite dubiously and wondering, where am I going with this? In fact, you're probably contemplating getting on your phone and calling Pastor Rock and snitch on me. <laughs> some of y'all got them on speed dial. But let me state, there is a point to this little exercise. The point of the quick demonstration was not to draw you away from the focus of the message, but to draw you closer to it. The topic I want to address today is that of temptation. My introduction may have been innocent, but it was a useful example of influence. And I'm sure we all can agree that not all influences are innocent. Many of us can describe a time when we experienced a temptation. If we reflect back on those occasions, I think it would be reasonable assertion to suggest that the results of that temptation probably produce one of these two outcomes. Either you were able to successfully combat those influences or you may have succumbed to them. 
And not every instance of temptation will produce a catastrophic result. Yet, each incident will produce some level of consequence. Every temptation provides a consequence. The result depends on our response. Consequences are the results of our actions. Being prodded by temptation is drastically different than being a participant. Individuals can become aware of its presence without becoming an active participant of its influence. Temptation needs to be properly addressed, and how we choose to address it will affect what we will experience as a consequence. If there is an appropriate response, then there will be a positive outcome. Alternatively, if there is an inappropriate response, the results may be negative. When temptation arises, it does so with a hungering for a response. Its ability to thrive depends upon the type of care it receives. If it is neglected, it may wither away and dissipate. If it is nourished, it may continue to grow and expand with its influence. And when the influence of temptation moves a person into action, the result of the experience may not have provided the results that you ultimately desire. When experiencing temptation, there are three common ways individuals choose to interact. The way they interact by their choices are either dance, delve, or disregard. Individuals who choose to dance with their temptations do so by wavering back and forth in a sort of two-step dance of thought of whether to act or not. In the mind thinking, should I? Shouldn't I? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Doing a dance like when you hear the music playing and you just start to move. That's what you're doing in your thoughts. Individuals who delve into their temptation have made the conscious decision to act upon the impulse or the influence. You just move right on in. And those who choose to disregard it may sense the apparent urge, but are able to move past it and not give it any more of their attention. But temptations have a goal. And temptation tries to motivate us to accomplish a short-term goal without consideration of the long-term impact. It could seem to be completely right in the moment, but lead to a total wrong in the end. And when a person senses that they are being guided in a way that's contrary to the way they should be guided, they may be experiencing temptation. Someone in this room or someone online might be wondering and ponder upon the question of whether all temptation should be considered bad for us. And in our culture, it is commonplace to try to minimize the premise of temptation and to dilute its impact as nothing more than living out our lives within an everyday world. But believers are not to take their cues from the world. We are directed that we are to be in the world, but not of it. And scripture is quite clear when it speaks about temptation. And more importantly, it's quite clear about how it speaks about temptation in relation to your walk with the Lord. If we want to know how God views temptation, all we have to do is go right to the Bible and look into his word. And when the Bible speaks about the issue 
of temptation, it makes very clear how we are to address the issue. Scripture applies very strong action words when instructing us about the subject. And it depends on what translation you may be reading and what, what version you may be reading to hear these type of action words. But you will hear words, read words such as this, resist, avoid, overcome, which are just a few of the verbs that are associated with that term. If that is not proof enough to the reader, the Bible has a title that has only been reserved for the enemy of our souls. Satan is called the tempter, and the tool he frequently uses is that of temptation. Now, this should put the rest, the notion that God is the one who tempts his people. God permits us to be tempted, but he doesn't produce them. God knows when we are tempted. He also knows the outcome. So, James 1.13 puts it very clearly. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Black and white in scripture. He doesn't set up situations for us to be tested and then turn around and act surprised when he sees the results. He allows you to be tested, however, because he knows the grade before the issuance of the test. He allows them because working through our temptation increases our confidence and our commitment to him. And Satan's goal is quite the opposite. He wants us to deny our faith and follow him. So our passage of scripture today clearly illustrates my previous point regarding God's permission of temptation. Some will ask, well, why does God permit these temptations to happen? And especially when you're walking through very tough situations, you know, the whining starts with the why me? Why is this happening to me? Why me, God? Why I got to go through this? Why is this so tough on me? The why's. I'm not saying asking the question is so wrong, but this is where we tend to go. And my thought is, well, why not? Have we forgotten what God permitted Jesus to suffer on all of our behalf? His decision to leave his divine post only to be scorned, snubbed, ridiculed, beaten, and put to death by the very people he was sent to save. And I'm sure the weight of his temptation to avoid the cross is incomparable to what we could ever imagine. We only catch a glimpse of this weight that I'm describing, a glimpse of it during his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. He labored in prayer, petitioning God to allow this to pass by him, but yielding his own desire in exchange for what God desired, not my will, but your will be done. His earlier wilderness experience that we read today was only in preparation for that final assignment. He needed to pass that test so that he would be fully capable of passing his ultimate test, the test of the cross. He had to model what it truly meant to be led by the Spirit. If we read the chapter preceding the one we read today, at the concluding end of that chapter, John baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water. The Spirit descends upon him. The voice from heaven rings out. This is my Son whom I am well pleased. 
The next thing we read is the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested. Prior to Jesus's launch in his public ministry, he was led into by the spirit into the wilderness so that that testing would occur. That would be the launching point for some of his very, very visible ministry. His wilderness experience demonstrated the spiritual strength that is possible in the midst of extreme human weakness. Our human weaknesses can provide an opportunity for the display of spiritual strength. Let me be clear with something, though. Human weakness can provide an open portal, a gaping open portal for falling into temptation. So be very clear about that. But it also can provide an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to empower you beyond your human capacity. This can happen if and only if the Holy Spirit is taking the lead in your life. And we can gain power in the midst of our weaknesses. Not human power, but God-ordained power. He ordains that his power be demonstrated through the work of the Holy Spirit. And through the work of the Holy Spirit means through you. And Jesus clearly gives a command and and a statement that we should be reassured. He says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. He says this with such confidence because he himself was the first partaker of the spiritual provision. What we experience right now of the spirit leading us and giving us power, Jesus experienced himself. And based off of that, he is a powerful witness because of what he was able to personally witness. Likewise, your life challenges can be a powerful witness for others because of what you've been able to personally witness as the Holy Spirit leads and guides you. But there's a clarification that needs to be understood when I'm talking about this provision of power. Jesus did not lose his power when he took on the form of mankind. We see his power being demonstrated throughout the New Testament. What is different is he had to submit his power and his will to the Father. We know Jesus is a co-equal of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When he took on human form, he had to submit his will and his power to the Father. And an individual cannot fully satisfy self and satisfy God. To do one means you have decided to disappoint the other. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we don't lose the power of the Holy Spirit when we experience some of these perils of being in our flesh. What we must do is embrace the power that is available to us so we don't accommodate our flesh. And Jesus' test in the wilderness was no different, no different than what is common to all mankind. I used to think, I used to think quite often when I read this scripture, that Satan must not have been on his A-game. Like, he could have brought, this is Jesus we're talking about. Like, why didn't you use some other tactics? Like, why wouldn't you bring the full barrage of everything that you have? It didn't appear, based off of what you read, that he brought his A-game. He used the same types of temptation that was used on Adam and Eve in the beginning, and it continued throughout history and even to this present day. 
But now that I think about it more, as I pondered on it more, I said, why would he change? They were proven to be effective. And what's interesting is he knew who Jesus was. This wasn't no surprise to him whenever he seen him in the wilderness. He knew previously who Jesus was. How do we know? Just as others saw Jesus walking through fulfilling prophecy, Satan was witnessing the same. He was seeing these things being checked off about the coming of the Savior. He was watching it. But now he believed he could exert his influence on him. Not because he is the son of God, but now he is the son of man and the son of God. And it would seem to be a reasonable tactical choice here. Being a tactician, this was a reasonable tactical choice. Exploit the weaknesses of man to gain influence over the son of God. And there are times when temptations are masquerading as invitations to explore what has already been entertained. What do I mean? Well, there can be some elements of fact or truth that is rooted in a temptation. Experiencing the temptation itself, you might have something that could be factual or real. Jesus knew he was coming to earth and he would be able to perform miracles. He knew he was going to be able to perform miracles. He knew that he was going to have to face death. And he knew that he would eventually reign as king over the earth. That was known to him before he took on the form of man. But none of these three exhibits of Jesus's temptation were outside of his realm of capability when it was being presented to him. It wasn't a matter of if he could do it, but more about should he do it. And Jesus had the ability to accomplish all three right then. Satan wasn't asking Jesus to do things because he thought Jesus didn't have the authority to do them. He was tempting Jesus to act in his own self-directed authority instead of under the authority of God. And he did this by presenting it in a very interesting way. He says it in a question, but how he phrased the question to Jesus. If you are, let's walk through the temptations themselves. It reads it verbatim in two of them, and I'll explain the third. First one, if you are the son of God, then turn this stone into bread. Jesus at this moment is famished after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. I'm famished after 40 minutes of fasting. He did 40 days and 40 nights. And so we also know based off of what we've seen in scripture later on past this point that he's able to perform miracles with food and drink. He turns water into wine. He makes a buffet to feed thousands with two fish and five loaves of bread. We see he can make miracles with food. So it wasn't an issue of if he could do it. Second temptation, if you are the son of God, and I'll paraphrase here, lay down your life and see if God will save you. Well, we know finally what happened after his death on the cross, God did resurrect him and he walked, out of the, walked right out of the tomb. And finally, the last temptation, if you worship me, translation, if you are submitted to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory. Jesus didn't have to temporarily submit to Satan when he would eventually reign over top of Satan to include all the heavens and all the earth. So why did Satan try? Why was he so persistent in this moment to try to tempt Jesus in this moment? Yes, his human weakness. Yes, absolutely, that's true. He wanted to see an open portal. But he was attempting to set a trap because he thought he had Jesus trapped. Yeah. 
We see, when we look at Jesus, we see Jesus as divinity inside humanity. Yet Satan thought he saw Jesus as divinity trapped in humanity. He would be proven wrong, but it gave him a golden opportunity to try to exert his influence over human flesh to get Jesus to act out of self-interest instead of following God. And when we look at our temptations, temptations are influencers that that encourages human selfies, selfishness, self-gratification, and self-empowerment. In this current age of social media, we are all quite familiar with the term selfie. Now they even got ussies. But you know what selfies are. (laughs) They are those snapshots that people take of themselves and post onto social media to share with others. Now, if you do that, I am not criticizing the concept of selfies, not at all. I'm not criticizing it. But I will say there are some people who are obsessed with them. Y'all see it like we do. <laughs> Plastered all over. Selfie, selfie, selfie. But this current trend of snapping photos and posting it on social media was not around 20 years ago. But these human selfies have been around since the beginning of mankind. And all human temptation, whatever the temptation may be, I could class it, you could list out many temptations, but all temptations can be captured in one of these three buckets that refers back to my point that you just read. You may hear temptation referred as lust of the flesh, lust of the, lust of the eyes, or the issue of pride. You could put any temptation that is experienced in one of those three buckets. But all of them point to an inner desire to satisfy self. It is the aspect of only serving selfish desires of our flesh in exchange for deepening our desires for our Father. But just because they've been around for a long time doesn't mean we have to be guided by them. We are able to have the Holy Spirit as our guide, and God should be the chief influencer in our lives. Let's not be fooled at all about the powerful influence that Satan has. Remember, he was able to persuade one-third of the angels to follow him when he was kicked out of heaven. Think about that. Angels who saw Jesus. He was able to persuade one-third of them to follow. So he has powerful influence. Don't ever, ever think that he can't influence you. That's the first step into falling into his trap. He has the ability for influence. He just doesn't have to have influence over you. Even with all of his power that he has, he has persistent power. And certainly he's very persuasive, but he doesn't have the power of providence. That is reserved for God and God alone. God's providence speaks of his care for those who desire to follow him. And Jesus was able to rebuke Satan's attempts of temptation by speaking and affirming God's word. When he spoke it, he said, it it is written. And at the time, he went back to the book of Deuteronomy. It is written. Just combating him with God's word. Then he laid out his life, and we have a whole list of other scripture that we can then walk in to be able to combat the influences of the enemy. So I want us to walk through this. And I want to walk through it as I've opened with an exercise to close with one. And no, we're not going to dance to the temptations. We're going to combat these things we call temptation. So this is what I would like. It's participatory. When I say 
if you are. You've seen that emphasis. There's a reason why I did it that way. When you hear me say that, I want you to shout back, a child of God, okay? And then I will finish out the sentence. So let's practice it. If you are. I want proclamation just like that. But I'm going to do this. If you're watching online, you can follow along as well. You can shout in your house. Ain't nobody in your house but you, so go ahead and shout it out. Even if the neighbors hear you, that's okay. Because we're going to do it right here in this audience. I want you to stand up, and we're going to go ahead and do this together. I know I'm probably making you do something that you're not used to, but that's all right. I ain't going to be here next week. (laughs) So we're going to walk through this. If you are, you say a child of God, and I'll finish with the phrase. All right? If you are and find yourself tempted by the enemy please remember some of God's words of his providential care if you are then know all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose if you are then trust that he is better it is better for someone to tie a rock around the neck and cast it into the sea than to cause one of these to stumble if you are then be confident that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you if you are. Then rest assured that you hold, if you hold your peace, the Lord will fight your battle if you are. Then God has never seen his righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread if you are. Then you belong to God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world if you are to know in all things you are more than a conqueror through him who loves us. That's the words we combat with temptation. I don't have to mess with the enemy, but I surely don't have to be afraid of him as well. And certainly, I'm not going to ask him to come up with his attacks because he'll certainly oblige you. But what we can do when he chooses, and sometimes when God is preparing you for some of the greatest ministry he wants to launch you in on, you go through some of the toughest things of your human weakness. So don't succumb to these things, these temptations that tries to pull you away from the direction where God may be taking you or God wants to show you. Lead into where God is trying to pull you to, into, which is into him. And avoid these temptations so you can be all that God wants you to be. Let me not think that there's not somebody in this room that may be walking through a temptation right now. And I'm not going to call you forward and embarrass you and this, that, and that, because it can be embarrassing. What I want you to do is self-identify with those other selfies. Those are the ones you want to do away with. Self-identify. I have an issue, but I want to pray over it with every eye closed. Just look in your heart. Search your own heart. Maybe you're walking through right now, and it's good you're wrestling. Wrestle with it. Wrestling is good. Now it's the time to bring it before the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, in this moment, there's someone who may have identified, yes, I'm struggling with the temptation. Yes, it is me that's doing the dance back and forth, get ready to move into action, but have not yet. And Father, there could be some who may have just experienced a temptation and have fallen victim to it. And either way, God, you still provide in both of those. You provide your strength and over individuals so that they can avoid it. But you also apply your grace and your love for those who may have fallen to it. Father, in these moments, by your Holy Spirit, minister to those that need to feel your presence right now and allow them to experience the opportunity for witness and testimony when they're able to proclaim, 
I called out on my Lord God. He responded in kind, and now I am free from the bondage of my sin. Father, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.